Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about making movies from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I was an assistant director in Hollywood for the better part of eight years. Now I'm not. Today, we're talking about Attila, a USA Network biopic miniseries that aired in 2001. The DVD box gives actor mentions to Powers Booth, Simone Jade McKinnon, Tim Curry, Reg Rogers, and, in the starring role, Gerard Butler who's described in the making of video as a Scottish newcomer. I believe this was his first major film role. Over Rotten Tomatoes, there are no critics reviewed and consequentially no tomato meter, but its audience score from 12,212 ratings is 67%. But a particular note for us today is that this production was filmed in Lithuania and featured not only an international cast, but an international crew as well. And that's well represented on our podcast today. First, Heather Lee, you're joining us from London, and you are our wardrobe supervisor. Welcome. Uh, thank you. Yep, that's me. Now, Heather, for our audience members who might not be familiar with your background, I'm going to pull from your IMDb page. You're known for Anna Karenina, Kingsman, The Secret Service, and Jack Reacher, Never Go Back. What have you been working on recently? Most recently, I did uh, an eight-part crime thriller series for ITV, which is a, a UK station, and that filmed in uh, Hong Kong and in the UK. That took up about eight months of sort of tail end of last year and this year. Yeah. Oh, Heather, we'll look forward to that coming together. Next, we're joined by Bo Randolph, who was the second unit B camera operator and is calling in from his home in Norway. Bo, nice to speak with you. Hi, nice to be here. Now, Bo, IMDb says you're known for the Daniel Craig World War II movie Defiance, a Norwegian robbery caper called Nokus, and a 2002 sci-fi thriller that I've never heard of called Endangered Species, in which you're actually the second unit director of photography. Any of these films you particularly recommend for our listening audience? Defiance was was a lot of fun doing that. was probably about 10 years ago. Well, we, it was shot in, in Lithuania as well uh, 11 years ago. More recently, I've, I've uh, been working on Norwegian productions, but one that is shot in Norwegian and English is called Norseman, which is a comedy show about Vikings. And the second season is airing on Netflix in English in September, I believe. And finally, in our fourth chair, we're joined by Marius Valunas. Marius, you were one of our Lithuanian second second ADs on Attila, but now you live in Los Angeles and you've done quite a range of work since then. Marius, rather than have me pull credits from your resume, why don't you share with our listeners a bit of a career overview? Sure. Hi, everybody. Yes, um, I had the fortune to move to Los Angeles and live here for the last 15, almost 16 years. Came here to go to school, was hired at a production company straight out of school, and uh, I was a development and production executive, and then became a partner at a company later. Through those years, I uh, sort of uh, co-produced a few features and helped with a lot of development stuff, including some television work. Uh, some of it got made, some of, some of it didn't get made. Well, I'm glad all of us have stayed in touch over the years. Uh, as for myself, briefly, I worked on Attila as a DGA trainee. Uh, on staff, we had two DGA assistant directors and four Lithuanian ADs. Uh, Marius, uh, you were one of those. And I, th I believe adding a trainee basically for production like this was probably the cheapest way to add one more U.S. trained AD to the staff. Now, we'll talk more about everyone's roles later in the podcast, but let's start by discussing some background on the production itself. We were based in Vilnius, that's the capital of Lithuania, and we were working out of an established studio where they had filmed four seasons of The New Adventures of Robin Hood. Marius and Bo, I know you were both involved in that production. 
Sure. And I showed up from Norway to Lithuania a little bit out of out of chance because I knew a Swedish DOP that was working on it and he asked me to come along. Subsequently, I, I bonded with the Lithuanian film studio. So when they had Attila coming up, they asked me if I would come on as one of the camera operators, which was a great opportunity to work again with the great Lithuanian staff, but also to meet with a few other new ones. I enjoyed that immensely. Marius, how did you get involved with the production? I think I was 19 years old. I was a musician at the time, and Wayne um, and Film Studio was servicing the production of that Warner Brothers series, The New Adventures of Robin Hood. And I happened to be uh, hired to play at the uh, kickoff party for season three. And Fred Weintraub at that time, the producer, I think offered the job and I declined. Just somehow was not interested in filmmaking. But the year was dry, as I remember back then. And I decided, you know, I need a job. And I went back to the film studio and said, hey, this guy offered me a job. And that's how I came about. And yeah, I mean, a lot of great training came from Attila. I think uh, especially the uh, American assistant director crew was very uh, inspiring. And uh, at the same time, infused a lot of the uh, American culture, I think, in terms of handling a big time uh, shoot. Uh, and I think in many ways, I, I see Aaron Barsky, who was our the first AD, you know, somebody who I was able to really learn from at that time. Well, let's come back and talk more about uh, the 80s and how that was structured. Uh, but first, Heather, when did you get involved in the Attila production? I, de- I wasn't on board to start with. Shooting must have already started. I remember getting a call from Jane. And when you mentioned Jane, you're talking about Jane Robinson, who was Jane the costume Robinson, designer. For sure, the-, the costume designer kind of pretty much had to get on a plane almost straight away and come out. Unlike lots of productions of that kind of size, she didn't have an assistant designer. So with it being such a huge show and so much costume making, you know, it wasn't it wasn't straightforward at all. They just felt they were a person short. So, because obviously Diver was the Lithuanian supervisor. Um, the whole the rest of the team was Lithuanian. I was not there from the beginning. Um, I think that Aaron Barsky and Barbara Ravis, who acted as the key second and also the second unit first AD, came over and were working with the Lithuanian team and what was in place. Um, And I think when you talk about the scale of what this was, um, I just, for example, one story. So my role was largely to deal with the actors. I basically ran first team, got them into hair, makeup, had them get to set on time. I didn't spend actually that much time on set with this production. But I think one of the challenges, just for example, my understanding is that we rented every mobile home trailer in Lithuania to be the cast rooms. And so we had these eight trailers that were um, out on this field. And I think that I was brought in largely to sort of bridge the gap between perhaps expectations that our American or British cast might have had versus the realities of working in this environment where maybe it was not all quite to their expectations, that I understood where they were coming from, also understood what was going on there with this team, and that we could just all, all bring it together. Marius, maybe you had a different perception of that or the actors coming in. No, no, I, I think it's exactly right. And, you know, having worked on a lot of international shoots by now to where I acted in that kind of role, to where I was the uh, gap bridger, so to speak, and, you know, how to do it in a few times in Mexico, a few times in South Africa and a few other places. But yeah, Lithuania, I think at that time was just up and coming production service location. And uh, I think 
even though Lithuania had regained its independence from the Soviet Union in 1990, a lot of the things and a lot of what production needs was not there due to the fact that those are expensive toys that you want to you know, have around and they're very specific type of toys and especially these trailers. I think they did great given the circumstance, but those, those things don't happen overnight. Over the years, things have changed and have improved. And well, the last drama show I worked on in Lithuania, which is probably about four or five years ago now, but they did have proper trailers and proper base camp set up. I think that came into place, you know, fairly quickly after having a few bigger shows and realizing that there was a need for proper craft service, proper accommodation or, or ways to accommodate both crew and cast. So things are, are pretty much up and running to, to a decent international standard now, as far as as far as I can tell at least. Um yeah, it's one that, remember we didn't have a costume truck at all. <laughs> um and in fact I remember having discussions trying to explain sort of the basics of what you would expect to have on a costume truck and nobody was particularly interested initially but then it was kind of like okay okay you just need to talk to these guys and tell them what you want so I had that conversation and I kind of thought it was happening <laughs> and then I remember suddenly seeing talking to Ken Fuller and saying that sound truck of yours you went yeah I said that looks very like the one that was meant to be becoming the costume truck and uh, yeah, it was. <laughs> so we never did really have a costume truck because they nicked it. Ken Fuller nicked our truck. That's the bottom line, yeah. Ken Fuller, <laughs> our, uh, the, the, our sound, sound mixer, recording. nicked your truck. Yeah, I'll never forgive him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I go back to Lithuania on a regular basis at least once a couple of years. And interestingly enough, I think Attila was either the last or the the last before last show I worked on in Lithuania. I happened to get a lot of work overseas after that particular show and uh, I didn't, yeah, I didn't have the uh, fortune to experience a lot of what went on after that. Nope. But I hear good things. I mean, a lot of shows are traveling there these days. Even even now I think they're shooting a big British or they shot a big British film uh, on Chernobyl or something like that. The skills levels certainly in our department were very high regardless of the lack of a costume truck. No, seriously, the, the skills levels were very high. I mean, that guy, Mickey, who made uh, made leather armor, amazing, absolutely beautiful work. Well, I know I was reminded in watching the making of Attila video that's a special feature on the DVD, just the amount of work that went into all of the costumes, uh, these shields they were carrying, all the weaponry from not just the Huns and the Romans, but also the Visigoths and, and other folks represented. Just a ton of stuff. There was another UK person brought over, um, Alex Carey, who has many, many years in um, dying and breaking down, aging, and he did masses of work and trained up a couple of people. Let's talk about some of the challenges of the international cast on set. Folks are speaking English, they're speaking Lithuanian, they're speaking Russian, they're speaking Slovak. Enormous challenges on set, all of that coordination. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I mean, my, me personally, you know, I, me being Lithuanian and first language being Lithuanian, yeah, and being so young, you know, if you're not exposed to the language on a professional level, you obviously, you, you yourself have an obstacle to deliver the best work, and at the same time, you create an obstacle for others because you may not be able to understand, you know, your department heads, you know, 100%. A lot of frustration came from there for both sides, you know, for the American side, for the English side, for the uh, Lithuanian side, and so forth. But at the same time, I think it was a great learning experience for everybody. What, what, I, what I would find also is that 
apart from the pure language differences that you might have, there are also like cultural differences. You know, if, if, if you're a, if, if you're a native English speaker, you might, you have a different, you have a wider vocabulary and, and therefore would choose maybe different words to ask for something. Since I'm not a native English speaker, I would sometimes be sort of translating with some of the Americans saying, listen, you know, the guys might understand you better if you just simplify your language a little bit. Just don't use the LA slang for whatever piece of equipment you you might want and and be a little bit more clear you know it's just that they don't quite get it if you just ask for a four by b board and just say well can you get me a reflector instead it'll come very quickly but could be a challenge sometimes but it would be easily overcome as soon as you could sort of tune in get everyone to tune into sort of the same channel and just simplify things then things are going to run as fast as they would ever anywhere that could be quite a good exercise. I think it's it's quite valuable. It makes you think about what you're saying and what you're asking for. In going through my notes in preparation for our call, I actually found my little phrase book that I had been keeping while we were there. In addition to some pages I cut out from somewhere with general days of the week and such thing, um, I had folks uh, teach me a few other things. Let me see if I can still get them right. Opsivemshu, very loud. You know what that means, though, right? It means I'm about to vomit. Yes. I'm going to throw up. I'm sick of this. And was basically a, a sign of frustration. Used to crack people up during, you know, some tense times or we're having a hard day. And I would go up there and say that. And generally, people would start laughing. Yeah. <laughs> I never heard that one. That's oh, new yeah. to me. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a few more downs, but, but as well, uh, you know, I've spent a bit of time there. I think I worked more with film in Lithuania than you have, Marius. I'm, I'm sorry to say, but no, no, it's, it's kind of great. I think you, you're probably a fairer judge than I am because, you know, I'm biased. So biased in what way, Marius? What do you mean? I'm from Lithuania, so naturally I think I like I, I haven't lived in Lithuania for a long time, but you know, I I like it. Vilnius is my town, you know, and I every time I go back, it's as charming as ever, you know, and it's it's as beautiful as ever. And I always enjoy spending time and you know, meeting the people. And I may not be talking to these people on a regular basis, but you know, if I ran into Bo, you know, in Vilnius, we'd we'd have stuff to talk about and joke around about, I think. Well, I think we're all going to be on the same page there, Ars. It was a fantastic experience uh, shooting Vilnius. Vilnius is on that short list of places where I say, oh, I'm definitely going to be back soon. And then as the years, one goes to the next, I haven't made it back. I'd, I'd advise you, you know, go on holiday. I mean, I love it. I still love it there. The restaurants are great. The nightlife is great. Uh, and, and there's a lot of beautiful places to visit. So there we go. I'm advertising it as, as a holiday location. But, <laughs> but even though work doesn't take you there, go back by all means. Well, let's talk some more about the work we did. I think one of the things that was interesting is our soldiers, our Romans and the Huns, our competing armies, we recruited or the studio recruited. I don't know what exactly the arrangement was. Lithuanian army recruits to fill those roles. Yeah, that's correct. I don't remember exactly what the arrangement was, but I think in the interest of time and to have an ability to command that army, so to speak, it was natural choice to uh, use the army because they're organized and they trained already, you know, to mm-hmm. be an army. You know, you have the experience of working with extras, you know, it's, it's not so easy to rally them, to get them to do things in synchronous ways and so, so to speak, turn them around quickly and, uh, you know, have them do, uh, you know, or have them respond to the commands quickly. So I remember that in the beginning, we would tell the commander what we wanted them to do. 
And then quickly, Commander, I think, just kind of gave up. He said, why don't you guys tell them yourselves? And I remember Aaron, Aaron would instruct me and I would instruct these soldiers. And me being probably 20 or 21 years old, yelling at 200 people to do them something was interesting. And they would do it. That was great. I know that they actually trained to do some of those Roman maneuvers to make the turtles and walk in a line and, I don't know, and watching the miniseries again, the extras delivered. The, the thing was as well, they, they uh, for parts of the shoot, I think they camped out in the area where we were shooting. Uh, they actually set up their army tents and they lived out there for like a couple of weeks. When we came to set in the morning, they just kind of came marching over and, mm -hmm. and, and ready to go in, in whatever costumes they were gonna, gonna have. Since we were shooting some of these battles over, I, th I think one of the bigger ones we shot over a couple of weeks is that right Marius? Um, something like that something yes like that, yeah At two different locations too far apart yeah. but some would be romans and some would be maybe visigoths some might be huns and you know they, they'd go at it day after day and and of course as we do our different take you know they, they'd start to remember that oh that guy like he hit me with a sword like on the last take i'm gonna get him on the next one <laughs> So in the end, they, they were like, it was play fighting, but they were kind of going at each other. And sometimes when, you know, the cameras were called to cut, they would just still be going at it. And you know, kind of had to go in and break up the fight. Um, not being anything serious, but but it was quite fun to watch. They, they went at it with great enthusiasm, to put it that way. That's the second unit story for you, Skid. <laughs> But now, so talking about some of these action scenes with the, with the fighting scenes, there's a lot of complicated uh, maneuvers on that. We've got horses, obviously, everywhere. We've got flaming boulders rolling down hills. Uh, Bo, maybe from your recollection, what were some of the most challenging camera setups? Well, well, I guess the thing is that there's a lot of things, especially in the battles, you know, there are villages being attacked and there are a lot of things going on at the same time. And you have to know that you've got to catch that stuntman when he's when he's falling off the horse at a certain point. You have to make sure yet that you get the arrow hit that's going into the wall or into the ground. Uh, so there's a lot of things going on at the same time that you sort of have to choreograph yourself along with uh, with the stunt people. But there is a fun story that just came to mind that we were shooting where the Huns are, uh, they're attacking a village and, and there were all these stuntmen, I think there were about between 35 and 50 stuntmen on horseback and they're firing arrows as they, as they, they charge the village. And we were there with cameras shooting the whole thing, um, hiding behind, um, you know, big sheets of plywood for safety. And after the first take, then the director comes up to me and another um, a camera operator and you know, asking, you know, how was it? I couldn't see everything on the monitors. You know, what, what do you guys think? And we both kind of agreed, but said in a gentle way that, well, you know, it, it was all right camera wise, but it didn't feel as aggressive as it should be where the director, Dick Lowry, then turns to the stunt guys and says, hey, uh, the camera operator here says you look like a bunch of Girl Scouts on a Sunday picnic. <laughs> now, we do another take, and you could just hear the arrows hitting the plywood boards we were behind because they were aiming at us. <laughs> and, of course, asking afterwards, was it aggressive enough now? My camera assistant, he was standing pale because there was an arrow was standing in the ground about 10 centimeters, about four inches from his foot. So, <laughs> so we got the take then. No, no one dared to object. Well, there's a lot of really creative camera work to make the battles look much larger than they actually were. Uh, I think I think it all has to do with you know the amount of shots you you managed to get 
the more coverage you can do, the faster you can make your edit, and by that making it seem like it's it's much larger and and involving a lot more people than than it maybe it actually is. You know, the same stuntmen are doing different stunts, but you know they hide their faces so that we don't know that we're reusing them for for a new stunt. Just you know, I mean, a few seconds later. And yeah, like you know, we do we do all different angles. It might add to the chaos of things and making it look more chaotic and therefore look bigger. I, I remember there was one occasion where <laughs> the costume department sort of had a bit of a nearly had a conniption because uh, we, I think it was a day where we had Visigoths, we had Franks, we had we had however many different. And I think you know the, the classic needed more more bodies for particular shots. And before before we knew what was happening, suddenly the ads had been asked to kind of of like you know we'll move some of those guys over there and of course we're like well hang on they had dressed completely differently and something's like you know us having our kind of little moment can't you see they're different probably didn't make any difference to anybody else <laughs> you can't put those visigoths with the huns that's ridiculous but, no, exactly. can you not see that the franks are a completely different color to the visigoths like nope okay fine <laughs> <laughs> carry on we'll just go home <laughs> You know, when we're talking about movie magic on this film, also uh, notable is the use of miniatures to create the castles and the hills behind the Apian Way. Just several times we were literally using 16th scale setups that the camera would film to make the entire background. No CGI uh, in those cases and done cheaper, but with a lot of expertise to make that work. It's it's quite difficult to sort of explain how that whole thing works, especially on the podcast, without showing it. But like you're saying, that there would be some foreground elements that would be full scale, and then they would add, you know, maybe castles or hilltops and buildings that would be much closer to the camera and lined up carefully. That would seem like they would blend into the background. Gene Warren, which was the visual effects supervisor, I believe has an Academy Award from before on, before he went on Attila. So he obviously knows what he's doing. And it was quite fascinating to watch the visual effects crew line up their gear and all these models and knowing they would only work at a certain time of day because that's when the light would be right and the shadows would fall the, the right way, you know, so there wouldn't be any giveaways. But it was it was absolutely fascinating to see that whole thing come together and how they how they were doing it. I have anyway no idea how where they would start to build that from, but they certainly did it and to great success. It did look amazing, didn't it? I remember being on set and looking at the monitor. It was phenomenal because you had like literally just like a ground floor level and I think one more story above of the actual set. And then yeah, then you look on the monitor and magically it was amazing. So a couple of examples of that, when they're on the Apian Way, our buildings are only 20 feet tall, and yet we have the hills and the tops of buildings and all of that in the miniature for this major procession, which in watching again, does anybody remember that there were camels there? There were zebras. (laughs) I don't remember seeing zebras, but there were camels. Uh, (laughs) Where did they come from? I think uh, they, they could have come from a zoo. There is or was a zoo in Konas, which is the old capital of Lithuania. And then uh, I think there was a zoo up in the neighboring country called Latvia. There's also a circus traveling through now and then. So maybe it's somehow, maybe circumstances aligned. So, but I don't remember where, where these animals were from. There were two enormous snakes. I remember I had to go back into the costume uh, building, which was kind of at one end of the set of the Appian Way. And there was quite a small staircase 
in there to get from you know ground floor to first floor and I remember coming running down the stairs with something that we needed and I guess that the snakes weren't needed on set for a while so the snake wrangler had gone into the costume building and I came running down the stairs and came around a corner and came straight into this guy with this enormous snake around his shoulders and that took me quite by surprise. (laughs) (laughs) The other area where I think the miniature work was fascinating was for example if the Huns were attacking a fortress they would have built one section maybe the gate or maybe a wall next to it where the folks could do the actual fighting. But it was just a freestanding wall. And then the miniature filled out the rest of the depth of the fortress so that the Huns riding up looked like they were riding towards a full fortress. But then, of course, we went in tight and shot the actual fighting scenes. And you can't tell the difference. Yeah, I remember that very well, actually. I remember that set. I think it was one of the first things we shot and one of the last things we shot because I think, uh, I don't remember if it was a scheduling issue or it was a seasonal issue that we wanted to uh, depict in the film itself. But I think it was the same field or the same fields where we began the shoot with the uh, stag running and Attila the Hun hunting the stag or something like that. That was our first day of shooting as far as I remember. And because I think we started shooting in April, if I'm not mistaken, you know, the grass hadn't started growing. So it was quite, the fields were quite yellow. So over the course of the spring and the beginning of the summer, of course, you know, the grass would grow and you you could, you could sort of get different looks for different parts of, of, of the movie or the series. In my notes, I also have a map that shows the various locations. There, there were quite some distances to travel in those fields because right? I remember sometimes we were shooting first and second unit and we were somewhat close, but not that close. We needed something from each other. It was like a drive away through a field and through a little forest. And then I remember when we were scouting location. I mean, I began, I think it was the end of January of 2000. I remember Tom Keniston, Dick Lowry and Mike Joyce had just arrived. You know, we scouted those places and they were looking for, you know, wilderness that something that would not show that this is a cultivated countryside, right? You you wanted things to look like they did, you know, back then. So that, that is one of the reasons why we had to travel so far. So we, so we wouldn't see whatever electric poles, you know, any sort of uh, agricultural impact, deforestation impact, you know, so to speak. So I think that's one of the reasons why we had to drive so far out, you know, even from the base camp. Mm. And we shot at some historical locations too. I think if you guys remember, uh, we were at this one place on the top of the hill, and sort of a big valley with a river down below. Carnave? Yeah, Carnave. That's that's a historic battle location, a big battle took place back there. And that was far. That was like an hour and a half drive or something like that from Vilnius. The thing about shooting out there, because uh, we had to do some stunts and and stuff, but back in the old days, and we're talking about several hundred years ago, uh, there used to be a city there, and this city was, was burned to the ground, and then subsequently the valley was flooded. So there are, like, there's like an entire medieval burned down city under just like a foot of soil. So we couldn't really, we weren't allowed to dig more than than a foot down into the ground with, with anything, not stick anything into the ground more than a foot. So that, that did present some challenges, but still we, we shot some great battling out there. The distances were so great. I remember that uh, our radio range would not support how far we had to be. The, these camera and the extras and remember we'd run out of range and you know kind of have to run in, get the message run back out, deliver the message to the, uh, you know, people on the horses and, and so forth. So 
And I remember what? running up that hill, up and down, up and down. And I think you could do it like 10 or 15 times a day and then you, you just couldn't anymore because your legs would be fatigued. I remember in the production meeting, uh, more than one production meeting, how much discussion there was about the logistics of shooting the migration. You know, that kind of great, the huge shot that was being done kind of early in the day. I don't remember, but talking distances finding where that was to be shot and then how long it was going to take to back all the vehicles up again and run. That was a big deal, wasn't it, that one? Yeah, I, I do remember it. it. It was a huge day. Uh, we were about we were about 1,300 people at work that day because I remember the numbers. I think there were 250 horses and 750 extras. And then uh, you got, you know, everyone dressing them and feeding them and makeup and, you know, so I yeah I think that was a day that started really really early and I felt really sorry for the, the costume and makeup department having to deal with all that and, and it took about day. half an hour to reset after each pass. I think our other really really big day was the Appian Way because I think there were 550 and I remember in in the production meeting prior to that being asked what time I thought we would need to start dressing them because they wanted to have them on set by 10 and I said well then we'll need to start at five and I remember that being questioned and then Diver kind of backing me up and saying no that that's what we need we we didn't we didn't hold anybody up though I don't think it also reminds me the the couple of villages that we set up. Uh, the original, the Rua, his father, Attila's father, that was a smaller camp. And then we also had a much larger camp for sort of Attila once he's come to power and sort of united his people. But I remember there being some issues of uh, those sets actually suffering a little bit of damage. Wasn't there a large dancing scene that collapsed part of one of those buildings? I think there was, there was a part of, of a party scene that was moved indoor. It was supposed to be outside, and because of weather, it was like moved indoors on the day, but the set wasn't really built to accommodate like whatever, 150 people. And then there was all this dancing going on, and, and the, the floor started to give in a little bit because it simply wasn't constructed to, to hold. It was just supposed to be the floor of a sort of the shell of a building. I think that was decided on the day or the day before, and... I think the construction coordinator wasn't consulted soon enough or somehow fell through the cracks. And yeah, I think that was the reason because I think it started raining. I think it was rain or something like that. I do recall, and I don't know to what degree it affected production, but we had some pretty heavy weather days. I remember some really severe rainstorms coming through. Yes, I remember I was huddling in a trailer. It was somebody's birthday, uh, I think, after the shooting day. Yeah, I mean, it's not unusual for Lithuania to have heavy rains in the summer. Uh, I, I do recall once uh, we, we did get hit by that heavy rain in the afternoon on our second unit, and everyone scrambled into the cars. And as we were sitting there waiting, we get a radio message from the first unit director asking, oh, maybe we could just go out and, and you know, shoot some of the landscape, maybe with some horses in that rain. Uh, and a few seconds later, a bolt of lightning hit the ground a mere like yeah, 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 yeah. 30 feet away from the truck we were in. And we just went like, you know what? We're just going to go home. <laughs> I remember, well, it was probably the same location you're talking about. And of course, the costumes had got absolutely soaked, everything that the, the crowd were wearing. 
and we were going to be in the same place the next day. And the crowd tent was just standing water. I don't remember how deep, but it was at least ankle deep. And so there you are at the end of a day. I think that was possibly one of the days. I think my pickup time outside my apartment was 2.45 in the morning. And so then you have, you know, you have to get all the crowd ready at five o'clock in the morning and then they shoot and they're soaking wet. And by this time, say there's water in the tents. And there were just uh, maybe half a dozen of us had to kind of work out how to stack things, where we were going to leave the costumes overnight. There was really no question of being able to get them dry overnight because we didn't have the facilities, but to preferably not have them wetter when you came in the next day than they were when you when you left them. Persuading those poor, poor extras to put them back on the next day. We had some tough days like that. So let's change gears here and talk about our cast. For a two-episode TV miniseries, I feel like we had a lot of great actors show up for this. You know, there were, there were some actors that weren't even that well-known back in those days. And so, so the sum of it, when I, when I look at it now, is like, wow, that was quite impressive. Even though I didn't get to work with all of them at the time because I was out shooting people fighting, uh, which didn't always invo- involve our principal cast. But yeah, there, and the, there are some really awesome performances. And so, as we mentioned earlier, we're at the very beginning of Jerry Butler's career. His next role, I believe, is Dracula 2000. Yeah. Um, while we were shooting, Jerry was approached to do this part in a film called Dracula 2000. And he couldn't go to London for the casting for that because we were in the middle of shooting. So one evening, uh, I went over to his apartment and rigged up a video camera. And we shot an audition video for him that he sent off to the casting people of Dracula 2000. And he got the part. So that was kind of great. That was the one with Christopher Plummer, was it not? Jerry was very excited that he was going to be working with Christopher Plummer, I think. I'll tell you, the, the first time that I met Jerry, uh, prior to shooting, we were still prep, then uh, I was out having a few drinks at a nightclub, and I ran into Gene Warren, our visual effects supervisor, and he's, he says, well, the guy that plays Attila is also here. And I said, oh, that would be nice to meet him. And, and Gene took me out on the dance floor and there is this man that i've never seen in anything with uh, long hair and a beard and as gene sort of introduces me he turns around and says well hello i'm jerry and i look at him and i had just watched highlander and i looked up at jerry and said no you're not you're connor mcleod of the clan mcleod and he just had the biggest laughing fit and we became friends right there and, and had, a, had a blast throughout the production you know as we're talking about being on location and with the actors i think When you are, everyone's away from home, there are really lots of opportunities to get together with the actors. And I know um, it was a lot of fun to spend that time with those folks. I feel like we got to know them a lot better than you do on a typical production. I think that can happen when you're away from home, can't it? Because people are in either their apartments or they're in hotels. I remember sitting having sort of, I think, breakfast one weekend with Stephen Burkhoff. Not what I expect to be doing. You you have more of a conversation than you do when you're when you're all in your own country and everybody just is desperate to get home because they need sleep. Yeah, so that's the nature of the location shooting. I think it always becomes your family in mm-hmm. one way or another. I remember Jerry being a very friendly man. Also, probably uh, ran into him at one of those clubs. I think there was this one place called the Ministry or the Ministeria in Lithuania. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah where everybody tended to uh, congregate after Friday was over or something like that. We did shoot five-day weeks, so we had the weekend to go out and to socialize and to get to know Vilnius better for those of us who were visiting from afar. For myself, a funny story is that my 
parents were living in Germany at the time. And actually, the set of Attila is the only time in my film career that they actually visited me while I was working on a movie. They came to Vilnius for a week. We spent some time touring and, and getting to know the city and the countryside. But then they came to set and Aaron Barsky, our first AD, gave them a little spot where they could stand to the side and watch what was going on. And they got to see some of the scenes with Tim Curry when he was there. And Tim Curry, watching him act was one of the first times, I have to admit, that I realized that one of the difficult things for an actor is to make the simple automatic in the sense that Tim Curry would he would do something with his hands or some motion. He would do it exactly the same every time. Whatever small throwaway little gesture, what seemed as just an aside, a glance or a look, he would nail it every time. And in film, that's so important. And I was just really impressed with the professionalism he brought to the set. Yeah, and he was a legend by then, too. I think everybody was excited. I think for us Lithuanians, we did not know that much about Tim Curry. But I think for all the uh, Americans, it was a big, exciting moment that Tim Curry was going to be on the show. And my other favorite memory of Tim Curry is when I was out to dinner with my parents and he and some of the other cast were having dinner nearby. He took the time to tell my parents that he thought I was a really good assistant director and enjoyed working with me. And so my parents remembered that and uh, they were very proud and it was a nice moment for me as well. The other nice moment for me was getting to dance with Isla Fisher at our rap party. She was an Australian soap star, I think, at the time, and had come in for what is really, in retrospect, a very small part. I think she's only in a couple of scenes um, in the final cut. I remember how how very, very excited you were that she was coming out. Yeah, I remember your face. <laughs> say she, her, her, her role ended up being uh, relatively small in terms of screen time. She was also one of the tiniest actresses I think I've ever dressed. <laughs> very lovely, very lovely. She is, she is very tiny. Also worth a mention, I think, is that for Powers Booth in his career at the time, this is before he did Deadwood, which I think largely revitalized his career. But he really brought his A-game, I thought. Um, and again, I think up and down, lots of folks that had done other things or would go on to do other things. For example, Liam Cunningham, when I was watching again, almost didn't recognize him as King Theodoric. But obviously, as folks may know, he has a major role in Game of Thrones now. But at the time was uh, doing Attila with us. He was already reasonably well known in the UK at that stage. Another role with lots of hair, I guess. <laughs> I'm sure that Attila on his resume helped him get the job on uh, Game of Thrones. I thought, oh, you've already, you've already done this. Uh, Tommy Flanagan uh, was great to work with. Really enjoyed hanging out with him. Uh, he went on to do uh, many seasons of Sons of Anarchy, um, among other things. I think the exciting part for all of us was that when he finished Attila, when we finished it, he had the gladiator role as the uh, Russell Crowe's. Or wasn't that before? Yeah, it was, was it before? before. Was it before? Oh, think, or maybe we were excited that, that we were going to get him for us because he was on that movie. Yes. The, uh, a little fun fact there is that Tommy Flanagan and Jerry Butler, which play brothers in, in the movie or in the miniseries, uh, they actually come from the same town of, of uh, Paisley outside of Glasgow in Scotland. So they knew each other, I think, mm. from, from their youth. You know, while we're talking about actors, I was also reminded of a scene, we watched it again, where Tom Keniston, our UPM, he plays the warden in the prison scene. He's got like one line, but uh, Heather, I don't remember if uh, any stories from when you had to put him in one of those uniforms. 
Well, in terms of being, he was good shape to dress as a, uh, he was convincing, but he, it was very sweet because he obviously took it very, very seriously. I think he was a little bit nervous. It's quite a thing. Suddenly, you know, you're the UPM and uh, appearing as a Roman, Roman guard. It's not your everyday garb, is it really, in front of the rest of the crew? I recognized there were a few other crew members that were put in costumes and giving like one line parts. So our, our second unit director, David Cass, he appears in the very beginning of the film in a very small part. And also I seem to recognize, and I didn't know this from before, uh, one of our special effects people, Alan Zepp, has a tiny, tiny role with one line. Um, at least I'm very, very sure that was him. Dave Cass's role in Attila was third companion. That's the actor credit that he got <laughs> okay. for Attila. Let's talk some more about just living in Vilnius. I am reminded that the beer was very good. It's probably Schwitteris uh, and Utenos and Kalnapolis. <laughs> yeah, you, you remember well, things, yeah. <laughs> Here's the fun fact for you guys. I'm from uh, originally from a small town called Utana. That's one of the breweries. Less fun, I think, Heather, was that time you got really, really sick. Yeah, it was very strange. It came completely out of the blue. We'd finished shooting one day. I was taken back to my apartment and I just suddenly got crippling stomach pains, which I thought would just go, but they didn't. And I was taken into hospital. Barbara Ravis was actually already in there. She was in the next bed with uh, some kind of bronchial issues. And I was in there for two weeks. Probably would have been done sooner, but I got a chest infection as soon as I got into the hospital. So then they couldn't operate. But it was quite major surgery. I, I had had a little bit of a moment with Aaron, our first AD on set one day. He hadn't been entirely polite, but funny enough, he was one of the first visitors I had after after the operation. And I just remember him just sort of sitting next to the bed looking kind of distraught. And I also remember when the lovely Mike Joyce and his wife came in to visit and they brought in an enormous basket of fruit, none of which I could eat at the time, but that was not the end of that. And I remember just crying and saying, oh, my God, this is terrible. I feel so bad. I, I don't have any health insurance. And uh, Mike just saying, it's all on the company. It's OK. It was the Baltic American Clinic, which was just like one floor in the hospital. But um, linking it back to actors just very briefly, um, the lovely Pauline Lynch, who played Galen, you know, that kind of a woodsy sprite uh, yeah. shaman type character. She was due. She'd finished filming and uh, she was due to fly back. But she asked production to delay her flight back so that she could be around for me before and after the operation, which was rather lovely. The other thing, which I will just say before we move on to something else, um, I remember the night staff there, all the nursing staff were absolutely lovely. But needless to say, I spoke no Lithuanian whatsoever, apart from being able to say thank you, that was about it. And at night, when the night team came on, to my memory, they all spoke Russian. And so there was some sort of oh, hilarious or tragic kind of pantomimes between them and me. Uh, you know, trying to kind of explain what was required or what was going to happen to me next. Or, uh, yeah, when you don't understand the, uh, the what procedure is about to take place, it can, uh, you can be quite surprised. <laughs> but I came out OK, so that's fine. 
You know, when you mentioned um, Barbara being in the hospital as well, I had forgotten that uh, Barbara, our first AD, had gotten sick. But it did remind me, I don't know if it was before or after your time in the hospital, Heather, but that Aaron passed a kidney stone while we were in Lithuania. And in fact, he was in the hospital himself for a little bit of a visit. Dick, too. I, I remember the director, yeah. he was in the hospital or couldn't come to the set at least one day and I believe Aaron Barsky directed one day it was the day we were shooting the orgy in fact <laughs> the, the orgy day <laughs> that's right well I I wasn't there for that um I was still still out shooting people fighting I think uh, there were an enormous number of members of the crew actually filed in and out of that hospital at various points it was a bit like a hotbed situation I remember at one point because <laughs> The, the, pri- the private part of the hospital actually only had, I think, about three rooms. There were two beds in the room I was in, and I think there was maybe one or two other rooms, and they were pretty much exclusively occupied by members of the Attila crew for quite some time. What other stories have people got? From the camera department side, Attila got an award by the American Society of Cinematographers for Outstanding miniseries um, cinematography and subsequently uh, uh, the director of photography Stephen Freerberg was invited to join the American Society of Cinematographer uh, so so that's also you know uh, something that I guess all of us on the camera crew pat ourselves a little bit on the shoulder for since we all sort of contributed to that to the camera work Stephen's gone on to do great things after Attila he's um, he did for many years at Entourage which I guess is what he's been known most for but but also uh, other movies and TV series. I actually, I worked with Steven on Entourage. I was uh, one of the ADs that, that first season. Guys, this has been fun. I had a really good time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And that's our show this week. A special Akyu Jooms to Curtis Five for our music and John Wan for our logo. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate us five stars and leave a positive comment. Thanks for your help in getting the word out about the show. Email me your feedback via skid, S-K-I-D, at blowtheline1word.biz. That's B-I-Z. We've got a Facebook community page where I've been posting photos from the various sets, and you can find that at Podcast Below the Line. You can now follow us on Instagram and Twitter. On both of those platforms, we're at Pod Below the Line. Next episode, we'll be discussing Drowning Mona, a year 2000 black comedy starring Danny DeVito, Bette Midler, and a long list of talented supporting cast. Hope you'll join us.